I'm Derek Cohen, and this is the Foundation Podcast. Thank you for joining us during this unprecedented cold spell. Let's go over what we know. Some 2 million Texas homes have lost power starting in the early hours of February 15th. At least 10 deaths have been attributable to the power outage. The state's grid operator, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, has not yet been able to restore electricity to many, nor provide a forecast of when that will happen. These outages are so widespread and severe, it has prompted Governor Abbott to declare ERCOT reform an emergency item, meaning the legislature can start advancing relevant legislation immediately if they can get to the Capitol. Joining me today to discuss all this is Jason Isaac, Director of Life Powered here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Jason, welcome. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate you having me on. Before we get started, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's see. I lead the Life Powered Project, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We make the connection between access to affordable, reliable energy and human flourishing, uh, reliability being a big point of topic right now. And before that, I served in the legislature for four terms, eight years in the Texas House, representing Blanco and Hayes counties in the Hill Country, just south and west of Austin, and focused my time there in the legislature studying energy and environment policy. And uh, it was a natural fit for me to come over to the foundation and, and work on on, again, continuing in, uh, energy and environment policy. Well, thank you, Jason. So it seems a lot of people do not understand that Texas, for the most part, has a standalone grid compared to other states. Can you explain why that is and how this is set up? Yeah, we have the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, which I think covers over 80 percent of the Texans. So there's a few areas in Texas that are not in the ERCOT grid, uh, but it does give us this unique energy independence when it's working and we have enough uh, electric generation provided. So that, that's that's really the grid is set up to cover almost all of the entire state. And in, I believe, this summer, around June or July, we'll be adding uh, more in the panhandle into the ERCOT grid. So the grid will continue to grow. Hopefully, uh, generation will start to grow as well. We've seen population skyrocket and boom here in Texas. We've seen the number of businesses moving here. Uh, and those are good things, but the grid hasn't kept up when it comes to reliable generation. And that's that's a big concern that we have right now. So how does that work? How does a reliable generation keep up with populations? How are providers incentivized? So on and so forth. Well, you think the Electric Reliability Council of Texas would have something to say about that. Uh, but what's happened over the last four to five years is you've seen older thermal generation, natural gas and clean coal power plants either been shelved before the end of their life or they've just reached the end of their life and they've been shut down. So we've seen a net loss of about 3000 megawatts of thermal generation, predominantly from fossil fuels over the last four to five years during that same time frame, you've seen an increase in wind and solar of 20,000 megawatts in growth. And that's where we've been trying to meet our demand. We continue to get every summer these warnings, please raise your thermostats. Uh, now it's lower your thermostats. Please quit energy consumption. And some businesses actually have their electricity cut off. It's a contractual agreement where the grid actually pays large consumers of electricity not to use electricity, uh, which the ratepayers pick up the tab for that. But the incredible amount of subsidies that you see that incredibly favor wind and solar have shifted the market. And so you're seeing businesses invest in those areas of unreliable electric generation because that's where they can go and make money. And it has completely distorted the market. Something we've written about last July, if it weren't for the pandemic, we would have seen blackouts in Texas last August. 
uh, which is when we typically have very high demand timeframes. Unfortunately, we're seeing it now in February when it, it's much worse than heat. It's cold and more people lose their lives freezing to death than they do from heat related illness. And we're experiencing that right now with thousands, if not millions of people without electricity in Texas because our grid has just not kept up with the demand. And that's really a, a, a result of market and so many subsidies for unreliables that have driven reliables out of the market. So not even a market failure per se, the failure of the market even to exist, as it were. So can you explain how those subsidies work? What incentivizes a provider to go with something less reliable, say wind or solar, versus some of the other modalities that you mentioned? Well, there is significant investment required for coal and natural gas to build a new power plant. And what's happening is the lowest cost electric generation gets priority on the grid. And so when the wind is blowing or the sun is shining, you have technology that's installed throughout you know, vast quantities of land that get subsidies not only from the federal government, but from the state government. So you get a production tax credit, an investment tax credit. You get property tax exemptions to where they're completely exempt from paying property taxes uh, in the state of Texas. So you have this business that really has very low cost. And then you have people like the city of Georgetown that are willing to pay exorbitant amounts for credits, if you will, to buy this electricity so that they can virtue signal to their alarmist friends that, hey, we're going 100% renewable, even though we're in a grid that's not 100% renewable. You'll have Apple and, and other companies that'll pay for these credits. The city of San Antonio has this effort to go renewable. We're even seeing school districts in other states that are pledging to go renewable. And the only way they can do it is to buy these credits. So these credits and the subsidies are are propping up these unreliable providers. And why would new natural gas come on the market when you can have wind that's actually paying their customers to take the product because they're and still make money because of all the subsidies? How is that even remotely possible? It shouldn't be because you have, again, government distorting the market. So that's why one of the reasons why we haven't seen new natural gas or coal uh, is because they can't compete with zero. They can't compete with less than zero or near zero. And that's that's really the, the, the crux of what has happened is you've got this incredible growth of after it's heavily subsidized by taxpayers, it's considered cheap electricity, which it's not at all. Consumers are just paying for it out of another pocket. Sounds like buying one of those Teslas after the California tax credit. So let's talk about what happened on the 15th. So the best of your knowledge, obviously, there's still a lot left to be revealed. But to the best of your knowledge, what happened on the 15th? How did we get to where we are right now, you and I speaking? Gosh, the 15th happened because we had incredible demand for electricity and not enough electricity to meet that demand. The way the grid works is you have to have power in the lines and you've got to keep a base amount of power in the lines. And if you don't have that power in the lines, you, you have to have, keep the system charged. If the system isn't charged, what happens is you trip power plants. And that's exactly what happened. This is where ERCOT fell asleep at the wheel uh, late Sunday night, early Monday morning when demand was skyrocketing because people's thermostats were kicking their heaters on and wind was dropping off the face of the earth, providing very little electricity, maybe 2% of installed capacity. Yes, I said 2% of installed capacity. If our thermal fleet was operating that low, we would have had a system-wide black, blackout, which almost happened. We got very close to the entire ERCOT grid shutting down early Monday morning. 
But because what happened is you trip some of these power plants, some of these thermal, natural gas and coal fired power plants were tripped and they're they're offline. And that's what that completely exacerbates the problem because then you even have less supply to meet demand. What ERCOT should have done is they should have begun their rolling blackouts, their rolling outages much earlier, late Sunday evening, early Monday morning, and began knocking people's power out for 30 minutes at a time. They failed to do that and it made the problem much, much worse. And so that takes us to where we are today. We just heard that the governor has made ERCOT reform an emergency item, you know, that meaning that once the legislature is able to come back and reconvene, this is one of the areas where they can substantively advance legislation. What does ERCOT reform even mean? What would you like to see uh, done to the electric grid to make it A, more reliable, B, more free market, and C, anything else that kind of precludes this from happening ever again? Yeah, on the reliability side, this is something that we've called for for a long time because we have been, we at the Texas Public Policy Foundation have been predicting that we're going to have these shortages. We actually have had these shortages in years past where I mentioned you have to have companies that are shut down. So what do they do? They send home their workers. They don't, their workers don't earn money, but the company is still getting paid even though they're not using electricity, but that keeps uh, homes and, and hospitals and schools to have enough electricity from actually having a blackout or a brownout. So we've known this has been coming. I, I quite honestly, I personally thought this would happen in an August and not necessarily in a February, but we're having an unprecedented cold snap here in Texas, something that we had 100 years ago. It, it happens. It's the way things work. And so what we would like to see is more reliability, that if you're going to put unreliable electricity on the grid, you've got to be able to guarantee a certain amount of electricity or have a dispatchable amount, a readily available amount of electricity. And that would allow Earth to be able to forecast much more accurately, where they forecast they may have a 25% reserve margin, which would be extremely adequate, and it drops down to less than 2%, and they have to start rolling brownouts and blackouts to keep power plants from tripping. So from the reliability standpoint, we hope that we see more of a, a guaranteed dispatchable amount of electricity for generators that are putting unreliables on the grid. And then on the affordability side, we'd love to see the market play more so that we can add more natural gas generation. We've seen the cost of natural gas decrease significantly, although it's up this week because of the cold snap and, and the incredible foreign demand that we're seeing for Texas natural gas, which is great for economic development. It's good for our schools and our roads and funding for our state. It'd be nice if that actually reduced the tax burden on, on those property taxpayer of, uh, of us, but that's probably another hour-long podcast. Uh, so we'd love to see some more market opportunities where people will actually not have to compete against heavily subsidized energy. And that would encourage and, and create a free market incentive for people to build new generation. Some of these subsidies, there's so many different hooks and, and ways out of them. If it's in a rural area, they're supposed to create 10 jobs. I was just looking at one company that has 15 wind farms in Texas and 11 of their projects have waivers to meet the actual minimum job requirements. So why are we giving them, uh, in this case, over $150 million in property tax exemptions? That, that's beyond me. We shouldn't be doing that because those of us that are paying property taxes pick up the burdens for those foreign-owned companies. Uh, this one in particular is a French-owned company for, and owned by the French government that's getting that's reaping the rewards of putting a burden on taxpayers like us. And, and that shouldn't be the case. There shouldn't be any waivers for job requirements, and maybe it's time to revisit these economic development incentives altogether because they've done nothing but weaken our grid. You hit on a very key point, Jason, that I think has not yet been 
I would say aired in the discussion following the 15th about we are not pricing in the actual risk of unreliability within the current system. So let us go from the different modalities and talk about reliability specifically. So I think we can say that wind and solar, as of right now, not exactly very reliable, especially in these sort of conditions, correct? No, that's absolutely correct. And as we're recording this, wind has dropped below its forecasted amount. So they have incredibly low bar of how much electricity they're planned to generate. And the, the wind proponents get overwhelmed and elated when they're producing more than what ERCOT forecasted. But the bar is set so incredibly low that it's it's almost embarrassing. When you're producing 5% of your installed capacity and that's above what was projected, uh, that, that's, in my opinion, pretty embarrassing. And the last place that should be happening is Texas of you know, being a world leader in energy production. And so let's talk about the thermal capacity. What does that look like in the state of Texas? Are there some thermal resources that are less reliable than others? No, not necessarily. No, there's natural gas and and there are some issues with gas supply at this point in time because gas demand is so high. Uh, The Railroad Commission stepped in and ordered uh, the the gas suppliers to provide electricity for residential and hospitals, basically human needs before anything else. So you have some people that are uh, gas companies in the state of Texas that look to export natural gas to Mexico. And that was put on hold. At least it should have been put on hold. We'll make sure those companies have actually done that because of this emergency situation and they need to be providing that that gas for human needs for Texans first. And then you've got coal as the other thermal generation fleet, which people have been demonizing coal for decades, uh, which with the pollution control technology that we have here in the United States, burning coal is wonderful because we actually utilize the pollution control technology. I, I joke that it would be nice if all the technology the Chinese steal from us if they'd utilize our pollution control technology because we're world leaders at reducing harmful pollution. We're number one when it comes to access to clean and safe drinking water, and people don't know that. There are some people around the world that actually burn coal over an open fire in their homes and are subject to incredible indoor air pollution that's just awful. We don't have that here in the in Texas and in the United States. We're, we're, we're blessed with the technology that we have and that we utilize it. Uh, and nuclear is the other thermal, other thermal here in the state. Those are the three predominant ones that we utilize here. There's a massive power plant, or at least there was out in East Texas, that the city of Austin spent over $2 billion on, and it never produced electricity. And that was a biomass thermal plant, meaning that it was going to burn wood waste to produce electricity. But when I think the people at the city of Austin learned that burning wood is twice the CO2 emissions of burning coal, they got a little concerned and said, hey, we've got to stop this project. We can't do this, which is interesting because CO2 is necessary for life on Earth, as as you may know. And, and for those that are listening that understand how photosynthesis works, it, it is necessary for life on Earth. Excellent, Jason. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I'm Derek Cohen, and this has been the Foundation Podcast. Keep yourself safe and warm and be sure to check in on your friends and neighbors when you are able to do so.